streams hookup. Here we go. All right, we are live over on StreamYard. Very curious to see if this hooks itself up over on YouTube and Facebook and Crowdcast. Just waiting to see. Oh, it's definitely going on YouTube, so that's good. And it is live on Crowdcast. And uh, maybe not Facebook, but that's all right. We are... Hey, I just got a notification from Crowdcast, so we're live. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, there you go. So we are going to get this officially started in three. Don't. Right. About. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And we are coming to you live from a couple of places on the internet. We are live over on YouTube. Maybe we're live on Facebook. Maybe we're live on Crowdcast. Who even knows? Maybe you're listening to the podcast later. It's it's up in the air, folks. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, uh, Android. Lots of places you can check out the podcast. And if I seem a little frazzled tonight, that is just because we are mostly working off of a new platform called StreamYard. We mentioned this last week. And you're experimenting with meth. So there's a fun uh, yes, prospect. I'm very high on meth. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, no, this is this is exciting. I'm uh, hoping this all works out. I guess we'll see what happens here and whether it does. Um, tell you what, does not seem like it's working on Facebook, but it is what it is. Is what it is. Uh, regardless, we're definitely live here on YouTube. We're definitely live on Crowdcast. And we have two great guests for you this evening. So why don't we bring in our first one? He is one of the folks behind the new movie and comic book, The Ballad of Gia and Frankie. Ladies and gentlemen, Justin Sierdulo. Hello, hey. Justin. Hello. Thank you for having me on here. Oh my gosh. Thanks for coming on. Did I mangle your name? I just want to know that right off. Uh, just to, you know, Reconfirm, confirm, Justin Chardulo. Um, it's usually mispronounced a lot. Um, a lot of people have that happens, but you gotta get used I to it. I don't recognize you with your shirt on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about the ballad of G and Frankie because there's a lot of stuff going on here that I think we can plumb into. There's a about 20 to 30 minute movie that is on Vimeo right now that you can rent or purchase. You also spun it off into a comic book which is from Legacy Comics. The digital is out now. The physical is on the way. But so this is about a, a beef between two sort of like backyard wrestlers, right? No, no, um, not exactly. Um, okay. Really, you know, with the movie, it starts out, you know, me um, doing the backyard wrestling. And on the way, I, you know, go through the metamorphosis to Gia Savitz, LGBT professional wrestler. And you see me on my journey throughout the indie circuit, specifically the Northeast, the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts area. And um, eventually I encounter a stalker, Frankie Firestarter. So while we chronicle the career, we then, and as we're in our career, a lot of times we get involved in that. We get entangled in our vulnerability and we get maybe a little benevolent as we're in our glory. And, of course, Frankie Firestarter, the um, consummate stalker, took advantage of it, um, exploited me. And uh, and uh, then from there, you, you get to see some uh, unpredictable stuff that comes along with it. 
they'll definitely everyone at home has to definitely check out the documentary on Vimeo on demand for three ninety nine rental and purchase uh, download seven ninety nine. So uh, I, I gotta ask, and this is always a tricky thing to ask when you're talking about wrestling. Is this real? <laughs> Are you talking about the business in general, this or the film? This the film. I mean, you're calling it a documentary, but you're also uh, I from digging into it. And mind you, you know, internet only goes back so far; it was only available. I couldn't find necessarily any records of any of this sort of thing. So, is this sort of a mockumentary type thing, or is this legit a documentary? Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. We had someone else bring that up, and I think there's a lot of people questioning the integrity of this story. Um, I want to say that we have a lot of truths to the story. I don't want to just narrow it down to what's integrity. Is, is, is there any validity, validity to Frankie, this and that? Why don't I say as a whole, we got truth to a little bit of everything in there? I want to say that specifically because to make it a little broader for – people that are questioning the integrity of the story and to let, to try to have a little market for a little bit of everybody, the people that aren't interested in seeing Frankie, but I'm talking about even people that are LGBT interested in it. Um, wrestling fans, horror fans, psychological horror fans, um, action adventure series. When you look at all those components, you definitely will have to say that there is truth to this based on a true story. Definitely. And I'm going to have to state that that's the best way to state it. Due to the fact that we have a broad nature, more broader than people are thinking here. So mm -hmm. I want to actually structure it that way. All right. I mean, that this is without pushing you too much. It's pretty true to wrestling, right? Like, I, I don't know, based on that answer, whether it's true or not. But it kind of doesn't matter because you're pushing forward this narrative and you're talking about this narrative and exploring yeah. it. And that's kind of the point. So. I do want to ask about, you did mention the LGBTQ plus nature of it. How does that play into the story? Well, you know, that's um, that character I, I, I took apart. I took in part of this character, Gia Savitz, around 2004. Well, it really started as the Nomad. In June 2004, made my debut in MUW. You see clips of MUW in the film. Um, and then, um, you know, then January 2005, it was confirmed as Gia, the Nomad Gia Savitz and stripped Gia Savitz. Um, LGBT community, I've been a supporter for that community um, for uh, for quite some time. I've been a supporter of it. Cool. Um, and I feel my belief is that, and it's it's a very interesting community. I don't know if it's really, I know a lot of, I know a lot of people have found it so controversial. My take on this is that we are all kind of part of that community in some way. Um, you know, I know uh, sexual fluidity, in my opinion, is runs rampant in all of us. A lot of times it takes place in certain environments. Um, I feel like sexual fluidity is a common thing in all human beings. Um, so maybe in some ways, you, I think in a lot of ways you could say me taking part in Gia Savitz really wasn't anything too horrific or superficial, as people may say. I know back then when I was taking part in the gimmick, they were thinking like, okay, well, what is this guy thinking? And back then in the wrestling business, people were a little turned off by it. And then you had people that were really turned on by it. But it was very rare back then. Uh, but I want to say that entering that community um, and doing that character, I, would, I can't say that that character, that character was all gimmick. Um, I feel like a lot of times we have feelings that we conceal and there's feelings that have to come out. A lot of times environments bring that out. I mean, we could live in one area 
and then we move maybe out of the country and something comes over us that we've never experienced before. So to take part of that gimmick was very beneficial at the time. Could be beneficial now, who knows, um, you know, um, but it was very beneficial at the time because um, it took care of me. When anxiety got in, in, in inside of me, that character took care of me. It's the same thing with Prince. Prince said he had a Gemini inside of him. He had a female counterpart inside of him, as he said, on Oprah Winfrey. That took care of him. It was no different from that. Um, so the, the character had its cons to it when you had people the, the way they reacted, but I felt like it was a support system and had all the components of your mother, your sister, your girlfriend, your wife, all combined in one to for the common purpose to take care of me and make sure I was safe within that 15 year span in the professional wrestling business. Yeah. Um, well, let's turn, talk about the comic book a little bit because you've got this documentary, but like we talked about, it's also being, has been adapted into a comic book. What was the inspiration there? Why take this thing and put it into the graphic art form? Well, you know, John Victor Ambrose and I, the executive producer director of, uh, you know, of Ballad, Jane and Frankie and of Jambo Pictures, we always want to expand our horizons and always try to enter new markets, even though we're an inter independent company. Um, we feel that's the best way to go. Um, so we said, you know, I could see this as, you know, we both, you know, talked things over. We talked about how we could see these characters as comic book characters with Gia, with Frankie, as well as the stuff, the outskirts of those characters, as you can see in the comic book. And we thought it would be a great marketing tool to get the documentary further out there and to uh, just, you know, kind of just feel like, you know, we feel like, you know, comic books are also a broad market as well. You guys know that. Um, it's getting broader as we speak, you know. Um, you know, it's now, it used to be Superman, Batman. Now it's um, a lot of things now. Even someone that's a housekeeper could become an idol, a superhero. Um, all different walks of life are comic book superheroes. You know, everyone's serving a purpose um, in a comic book. It's the, it's a far cry from when it used to be just Superman and Batman, Joker was your villain, Penguin, whatever. And now it's getting very broad. And a lot of things are drawing. Things that we never thought would draw before are now drawing in the comic book industry. Mm. Um, and we just decided that we feel like this would be a good fit, fit for the comic book uh, business. We feel like the, the character development um, as well as these true life characters within the documentary would be marketable for a comic book. And we said, let's put it out there. We can feel like we, we could overextend ourselves out there. The documentary could go out there more. We can enter new markets, broader than LGBTQ, broader than professional wrestling, broader than psychological horror, horror. Hmm. Um, and that's what the decision we made here. So is this the same story as the documentary or is this something that's maybe a little more fictionalized in the comic book? I'm happy you asked that. <laughs> there are some parallels to it, but the, the comic book is extends itself a little farther out there, broader. We had to really be very, very delicate with this. So myself, John Victor Ambrose, and the Legacy Comics team, which consists of Patrick Hickey Jr., the editor-in-chief, Josh Adams, artist, and Valentin Quinones, also an artist who specialized exclusively in the variant cover. Um, we really had to be delicate with this. Um, we had to combine the components of the documentary um, and then today, of, of what goes on today, to, to cater to our target demographic at Generation Z uh, millennials. 
So what is featured in this, and I want to definitely give you a brief like rundown, a little synopsis to show you what the differentials are, the unparalleled are with the film and the comic book. Now it does start out with kind of similar to the documentary, the uh, growing up, the train, you know, um, training, but before, you know, training starts, you also had, you know, on the journey of Gia Savitz, it was encountering domestic disputes within the home uh, over your dream of uh, bullying. And then Gia, of course, has to find ways to rise above, find ways to overcome the odds. There's insurmountable odds in there. Then go through the training. But that was tough. Going on the journey of experiencing the feel and taste of uh, the sport or people say entertainment or professional wrestling. And what's interesting about the comic book is that, you know, Gia thinks the bullying is left behind and then the bullying is resurfaced in Frankie Firestarter. And, uh, you know, so there's that parallel to it, but there's a lot of unparalleled a little more. I feel like there's a lot more differentials in the comic book um, compared to the movie. And we feel, you know, the, the Gen Z and millennials, we need to give them more. That's our targeted demographic. I've been in their shoes before. I know what they're going through. I could feel, I could empathize with them. Um, we just hired a wonderful intern um, within the Gen Z millennial, uh, you know, bracket over there. He's been an, just been an exceptional, just been an exceptional individual. We're very happy to have our team, and it goes to show you that uh, this individual empathizes with our direction and is doing amazing work already. We're just impressed with his direction. So, and we understand each other. We're working well. Um, <laughs> We're working well uh, as a team already because we empathize with each other. It's like, it's like um, him and I are just same age. It's like he's in back in 2004 with me or, um, you know, it's just, it's interesting. So I empathize with that. John empathizes that too. John and I like big kids, a lot of ways of teenagers. We're a lot of ages, you know, and because we empathize and feel what they go through, you know, we just feel like it's also easier on us, easier on us to do the comic book, how to market the comic book. And, you know, Legacy is also empathizes with that as well. And the Legacy team has been incredible, too, with how they're um, trying to put everything together. So, yeah, it's just been an interesting ride so far. But um, now it's up to business and marketing. Um, and we've got a lot more to get involved in and see how much the uh, journey is going to be. Are we going to have more smooth sailing? I hope so. Well, listen, for anybody who's only listening to the audio podcast version, Justin is definitely a cool teen. You can't see him, but he's like a very cool teenager, <laughs> as he's already established. Uh, so just to kind of review the information, so you can get the documentary right now, you can get the digital version of the comic book. The print version can be pre-ordered, but it's somewhere in the future. And it seems like we should be seeing you on TikTok or something like that pretty soon. Well, we do have a TikTok page. Okay. That we could you could check out TikTok.com uh, slash at Gia Frankie Doc. It has some scenes from the film, actually. Hmm. So if you wanna if you're ambivalent about the trailers, the trailers are on there too. We can see the trailers everywhere on all our social media apps. But if you're ambivalent about still seeing the movie after you see the trailers, you can get to see the the, the not the deleted scenes, I'm sorry, the <laughs> scenes, as well as some mini trailers that aren't weren't on our YouTube channel. And we'll be adding more new content uh, on there eventually as well. So you go to TikTok. And again, to order the um, digital comic book, you got to go to www.legacycomics.com. And then you can also pre-order the physical on there too. Um, 
So we got a lot, yeah, a lot of these still going with the brand. We've been working hard on this since 2019, been selected by 19 international film festivals, India, Italy, Canada. Um, so it's been, you know, but now the harder work is upon us now. And it's, so we're going to keep plugging along. That's it. Awesome. Whoa. Justin, thank you so much for coming on. Good yeah. luck out there. Good night. And I, I hope you win your next wrestling matches. Uh, what do you say is sign ah. off, right? Let's, let's hope I'll be back soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Justin. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. Yeah, take care. All right. Uh, there we go. Once again, it's called The Ballad of a GN. Frankie, and as mentioned, you can check out it in multiple places right now. Now we're going to bring in our second guest. He is the writer of Lady Dark, a new book from Blood Moon Comics that also had a successful Kickstarter. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Radvon. Hello, Eric. How are hey. you? Hey, guys. I'm good. How are you? Oh, my gosh. Right. Uh, first of all, uh, if you are listening to the audio podcast, this is not a lie like my previous thing. Your uh, subtitle says creative genius slash former dish dishwasher. Correct. Um, yeah, I just want to give a shout out real quick. Uh, former dish dog myself, uh, you know. The real uh, champion, the real heroes in the kitchen. So, uh, you know, it's like um, uh, it's something that never leaves you once you've experienced yeah. it. It's a lifelong yeah. thing, you know, and everything's better once you do something else. So, nice. <laughs> well, you're working on a better thing right now, which is a very successful comic. As we mentioned, it's called Lady Dark. Having read the first two issues, it gives me like there's a lot of senses, a lot of different things in it, but I think you remix it in a really fun way where. There's a little bit of Spawn in there. There's a little bit of some other 90s comics that you can kind of feel. Um, I think you mentioned in your pitch that it's like Spawn with a little bit of Ultimate Spider-Man, but with a female protagonist. And there's also, I mean, per the title, like there's a little bit of Dark Hawk going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. So tell us about it. What is your pitch for the book? What can people expect if they check it out? First of all, thanks for reading. That's awesome. And yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. My pitch is basically, you know, imagine, um, you know, the, the, the powers of a supernatural superhero like Spawn or Moon Knight, but it's a teenage uh, girl in high school, you know, so she's trying to figure out these very strange arcane powers and at the same time, like get through algebra class. So that's kind of the basic premise of it. And um it's been really interesting to go through the the two issues. You know, when you do indie comics, you know, it, it's kind of like you're you're working to get that issue out, and then if that somehow is a su su success, you're looking to pivot to you know what the next issue is. And um, what's been interesting is like how um, how how much the character has evolved as I've been putting it together. So I've just wrapped up issue three, and I've got the the proof put together and everything, and um, I think what's happening pretty rapidly is like we're moving from a, like you said, like, uh, you know, I think issue one set the foundation issue two is like a full on kind of action issue and uh, sort of reminiscent of like Savage Dragon or Invincible mm -hmm. or something. And then issue three, we get to a much different space. It's almost like um, it takes one step into something like a Vertigo book. So it almost becomes something like um, Swamp Thing or, or Sandman or something like that. So it's becoming more cer cerebral. And, um, you know, I've got. I've got the, I've got a 25 issue arc carved out and I've got some really wild ideas in terms of where the character goes. Um, so it's been a really exciting journey. Um, you know, we, we did the first Kickstarter for issue one with basically just the character premise and not much else. And um, it was, um, we way exceeded our goal. And because of that, we were able to bring in more artists and do some cool backup stories and things to expand the world pretty rapidly. And then we we kind of parlay that into issue two, 
Um, about halfway through the issue two Kickstarter, we were picked up by this publisher, Blood Moon Comics. So uh, Lady Dark will be coming to shops, I believe, in March. Um, nice. So uh, it's orderable through previews. So if you know if your audience is going to comic book stores and like um, you know have a if they have pull you know pull lists or subscriptions at their shops, they they can add Lady Dark to it. It should be in their stores system. So it's been um, a, a really fun journey to go from, you know, self-published to in previews in shops. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were on the cover of Comic Shop News, which was pretty awesome. So it's been a, it's been great to see uh, people all around the world react to this character and, and to this book. Well, so how does that happen? I'm just curious. This is getting like very wonky about the business, but I have a couple of questions about that. Sure. How do how do you end up on the cover of comic shop news? Is that the sort of thing where the publisher does a little bit of an ad buy? Was it just a nice surprise to you? What happens there? It was, um, it was just a nice surprise to be perfectly honest. I reached out to them about getting placement. My, my like I've been, I've been reading comic shop news like my whole life, you know? Yeah. So it's like probably like I have copies everywhere. Like every box I open in my house, there's going to be like two comic shop news is in there, you know, doing something. And um, you know, so I reached out to them really just in the hopes of getting like very small placement, um, you know, like a, like a one column kind of thing, just highlighting the book was coming. And I, I sent them some preview copies of the book and they liked it so much. They, they, the editorial side of the house just decided, Hey, we'd love to do a cover feature on this. So they, they, they put lady dark on the cover. They did a great interview with me and um, it was a huge honor. It was super, super surreal. And um, you know, I was explaining to my non-comic book friends and family, like that's like the, you know, for me, it's like the Time Magazine or something of <laughs> comic yeah. book store. So it was super cool. Uh, my first job was in a comic book store when I was like 16. Um, so oh, to wow. go from like putting those comic shop newses in the bag for the customer to having something you created on the cover of it is a um, pretty, pretty cool way to kind of close the loop uh, on that. Uh, I think with everything in, in comics, like I've been doing this about 10 years uh, my, my first anthology story was published like in 2012. And um, it's funny because at conventions and stuff, whenever I would talk to professional writers, um, they would say, yeah, it takes about 10 years to be an overnight success. And it's so true. You know, <laughs> you, it's a lot of continual grinding year in and year out. And, um, you know, and, and then things kind of will hit a, a critical mass. And I think there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Um, you know, the way I, I feel like every, uh, every every new page of a comic is a new beginning. You start from scratch with every single page. It's you got that blank page staring back at you, and it's like, okay, panel one. What what are we doing? What are we saying? And um, so for me, it doesn't really feel like uh, feel like I'm just getting started. I guess basically is is what it comes down to. But it yeah, it was it was a huge surprise for me to have the comic shop news people uh, be willing to highlight such a small book in such a big way. I mean, you know, it's usually Marvel, DC. Uh, the other big publisher. So that was a huge surprise for us. That is very awesome. I did want to ask you about the transition from Kickstarter to publisher, though, a little bit. Uh, certainly, this is a topic we talked about a lot, particularly with Kickstarter projects, and we see them jump all the time. But what was your experience like there? Were there things that you needed to tweak or change from the Kickstarter release to this new release that's coming up in March? Yeah. So, I mean, it's um, it's kind of ongoing. I'm, I'm sort of in the midst of that right now and, and kind of digesting, you know, all, all aspects of it. I think the immediate thing is it's great to have the amplified reach, right, to be able to get 
um, the book into previews and and have it be orderable through Diamond, so comic stores all across the country and and, and even in other countries around the world are able to you know, pre-order this book, um, people who have subscriptions at their shops can add it to their pull list and all of that. That kind of reach is totally different than when you're doing self-published and, and all of that. Um, one thing we had to do uh, between the, you know, the issue one Kickstarter edition was we had some backup stories that we did for that. Those were dropped for the mass market edition just due to page count and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, we're, issue one was scheduled to come out February 15th, I think due to some distribution issues. Um, it was rescheduled to March 1st is what uh, Diamond is saying now. So um, you know, I'm kind of anxiously awaiting to see what it all um, adds up to really, you know, like what the what the reception's like and, and how, how it goes from there. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm very much in the midst of that. Um, you know, some of my my publishing heroes are like, Eastman and Laird and a lot of the um, uh, independent creators, um, you know, like Matt Wagner with Grendel and Mike Allred with Mad Men. And, um, you know, these folks that have sort of uh, uh, gone on their own, done it their, their own. So th those are my sort of creative heroes. So I'm still, um, you know, figuring out the interaction with, with a, a publisher and distribution and all these additional layers. And we'll see, we'll see where the cards, where the cards fall. And if it, um, if it, if it works great. And if it doesn't, um, the Kickstarter experience was really wonderful for me. And, uh, I know I'll certainly do a Kickstarter again. I don't know if it will be lady dark or a new project, but, um, that kind of immediate immediacy to, to reaching mm -hmm. your audience is like really awesome. And it was um, a huge surprise for me. I was pretty slow to recognize the crowdfunding thing. Um, and uh, but when, once once we did Lady Dark One, it was a, such a great positive experience that um, I really enjoyed that, too. So there's pros and cons to both so far from what I can see. And um, yeah, over the next couple of months, I think I'll, I'll be learning a lot more about um, the different routes to market for comics. It's interesting that you say uh, Eastman and Laird, because uh, reading it, I definitely got an old school kind of gritty Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, especially all the roof stuff. Um, I also really love the the blood fist monster and the grandma talking to the ghost grandpa. The, there's a lot of great creative stuff in here. One thing I was wondering, something that always interests me about the making of comics is the relationship between the writer and the artist. Like, you know, some scripts will tell the artist exactly what to do. Other writers will kind of try to be a little bit more loose to let the artist kind of... Uh, uh, unleashed on their idea like how do you like to work and and kind of like because there's some real dynamic panels i mean we showed that one kind of like big lightning page or was kind of a splash action page like do you set those up is it something that you kind of uh creatively let happen how does that how does your process work yeah it's a, it's a great question and you mentioned all the different like um world building things we've introduced i think in just these two issues there's a lot of stuff we're throwing out a lot of yeah. fantastic ideas you've got um you know lady dark herself and and the range of her powers is kind of intentionally mysterious and ill-defined at, at first so i think as as laura lennox the character's name as laura's discovering the boundaries so are the readers right that we're not quite you know it's not like um an issue of spider-man where you know exactly what uh the power sets are and all of that um, we're introducing, you know, new villains and new threats and new layers to this thing. 
um, pretty much on every page. And, and I really wanted it to have that kind of exciting, like no holds barred um, feeling that you would get from like the early image comics and, um, and, and some of the eighties independence comics and stuff like that, um, which was really fun. Um, uh, but it kind of anchoring all of that, I, I really look at the work of like people like J.M. DeMatteis and, and other writers, uh, Marv Wolfman, um, where you have like all these crazy scenarios going on, but there's a really strong singular voice of the character that never really lets your feet go totally off the ground. And my hope is that uh, the readers are anchored enough by Laura and her kind of internal uh, monologue and, and her journey that it, it all feels anchored in like, um, like it's heading in a direction, you know, and, um, um, you know, so that, that's kind of the balancing act in terms of the script writing, you know, the way I've written scripts have, has evolved quite a bit uh, over the last 10 years, really just by virtue of experience and working with different artists. Um, you know, one thing is just uh, a, a lot of the artists I work with are, are international. So we've got folks in Europe, folks in South America, um, folks in Asia. Um, so I think that's something that uh, a lot of comic writers, um, you know, should keep in mind is that you want to be super clear. You want to avoid like idioms and things that could be easily misunderstood. Um, uh, I kind of strike a balance between, you know, you see some of these scripts from like Alan Moore and it's like a manifesto, you know what I mean? And, and like, you know, the artist will kind of pour through it and then sort of develop their own thing based on that. Then you have the other side of the fence, which is like the Marvel style. So like Stan Lee would write, you know, pages 24 25 galactus attacks earth and that's it and jack kirby came up with the rest you know i kind of based on the artists i'm working with and what i know um their strengths and weaknesses are i try to write to that and i tell you what there's something a little magical about it not to sound too hokey but when you when you write something and you have an, a vision in your head and you're able to distill it down into these terms and then an artist on the other side of the planet uh, draws it and it comes back to you looking like what you imagined. It's um, it's a strange kind of magic. And I really, really enjoy that. Uh, I've been really lucky to partner up with some fantastic artists, Samir Samal, who did our debut issue. Um, you know, he's got a really dynamic um, uh, style. I think he's got some uh, cartoonist in there, which is cool. And, um, you know, it reminds me of sort of like early Frank Miller a little bit where there's a little bounciness to it that that's kind of um, interesting. Uh, and then for issues two and three, we've got Emilio Utrera, who's doing uh, just a really cool kind of angular sort of work that really, um, really match the tone, the kind of supernatural tone that we we lean into in the in the later issues. So I've been really lucky to work with these guys. I, I think there's times when uh, for me, I try to be fluid. You know, if, if an artist comes back and say, hey, on this sequence, I was thinking if we shift these panels to the next page, we can highlight this here. And I certainly engage with that. So um, it, it's a it's a truly collaborative, creative process. And uh, I, it's one of the things I enjoy most about doing comics. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Eric, that is awesome. Just to sort of reiterate, the first issue at this point is supposed to come out March 1st. Is that correct? That's correct. It's showing in previews as March 1st for issue one. Issue two is uh, showing March 22nd. And then okay. we've got issue three in the latest previews catalog. And I believe that's showing sometime in May, like May 15th or something like that. Awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, it should be in the system. Um, I think the final order cutoff has already passed for issue one, but your shop can always attempt to do a reorder. And uh, if, if I had to guess, 
I, I would say because the, the book was initially um, solicited in previews before Comic Shop News and, and all this other uh, press and things that we've gotten and the reviews we've gotten, I, I'm going to take a guess that shops did not order enough and okay. that we're probably going to see a sellout of issue one. So, you know, if, if your shop can get in a, um, a reorder, uh, it might be possible to get some more copies from Diamond. And uh, I believe pre-orders are still open on issue two or just recently closed. So same deal there. And pre-orders are wide open on issue three. So definitely um, get that pre-ordered and add it to your pull list. It, it helps a book like us immensely. Awesome. Cool. Eric, congratulations on everything. Book is very yeah. fun. I'm excited for people to check it out. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Have yeah, a good day. Yep. Take care. Bye. All right. Uh, there we go. Once again, the book is called Lady Dark. You can check it out in shops on March 1st for Blood Moon Comics. Uh, very fun. And yeah. we are going to move on with our next section, which is my favorite section because you all make it up. It is your audience questions. And all you comments over on YouTube and Facebook and we will pop them up here but first Pete before we do that we should probably talk about what we are drinking tonight yeah it looks like you have a fancy ass drink I do have a fancy ass drink and I, I feel like uh, for the fancy ass drink we should probably bring in a fancy ass guy we were supposed to bring him in for trivia at the end but if he's prepared, I've been seeing him. He's been giving me vertigo. I've been watching him here. Uh, but he designed a drink for us tonight. So if it's okay, I'm going to bring him into the stream now. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Alive hey, on the up? streets of vertigo. Hey, you're allowed to go here. Look, say hello to the internet. Hi, hello. Uh, just to give a, a little bit of background for anybody who is listening to the podcast, wow, this is Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. Of course, we're going to our New Orleans correspondent, official CBC chef, Stray Bullet. Your uh, neighborhood is done up amazingly, as usual. Brent. Yeah, I don't know those people. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up, do not know. I, I know uh, the guy with a cone on his in his head. That's my landlord. He, he lives upstairs. But you can wow. see the house this year, you know, as in every year, is, uh, you know, we blow it out. We do it. We've been going it. very hard. And do you have, like, I can't see long. because it's a little dark. Do you have, like, a Ziggy Stardust yes. type thing going on in your face? I do. Look, look, see if I can get some. Yeah. Uh, I'm also, uh, I'm a disco daddy now. I don't know if you can read the shirt. Oh, wow. Congratulations. It, com it, it comes with extreme responsibilities. Yes. Uh, well, uh, excellent. Listen, um, I wanted to bring you in now. I know we talked about doing trivia, Pete. I don't know if you want to do yeah. trivia right after this or something. But uh, since every week you're kind enough to either curate or design a drink, you designed this week's drink, which is delicious. Do you want to talk it about it? It is very good. Of, instead of me stumbling through it, I wanted to hear from you. Sure. So New Orleans is very much known for its daiquiris. So hand grenades, uh, fish bowls, all these okay. ridiculous cocktails that these people make up where you can literally buy a fish bowl full of daiquiri. I wanted to come up with my own. So we have rum and lime, which is uh, mandatory for a daiquiri. But then, of course, straight bullet, added some Campari, added some uh, triple sec, added a little orange juice. There we go, the straight bullet Mardi Gras 
daiquiri. I'll tell you what, not only is it delicious, but not to get too into the drink, but I love the tang the Campari gives it in particular. Mm -hmm. Really nice, really good. Because sometimes the daiquiri can be like a little too sweet. This gives it that bitter. It's very yeah. good. I like this drink a lot. Yeah, it, this is lovely. And I made this up uh, Thursday. <laughs> hey, you're the professional chef. There you go. Uh, Pete, there should we, we do go. trivia early since we already have straight bullet in the stream? Oh, yeah, right might as well. What a, what a treat. Getting the trivia and a, early. And All a right, big disco baby. ball above my head. Oh, my gosh. Love a disco ball. What is happening? I, okay, here we go. We are going to go with some trivia. So take it away. Beat the page. All right. Today's trivia is on topical comic news and a small nod to the legend Raquel Welch, RIP. Please listen to all awesome. three options before making your selection. Question number one. Wait, um, I have one trivia every time, and this will be no different. Let's go. All right. Uh, question number one. This May, IDW has a comic, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus blank. Is it A, Jennifer Coolidge, B, Street Fighter, or C, Kang Crane, which obviously is a Kang variant? Uh, you're going to have to give me a small hint. Okay, e? it's not A, it's B. Oh, okay, I nailed it. Yeah, you did. Yeah, it's going to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus Street Fighter in a comic book. What's not to love? Hell yeah. Chung Lee, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Uh, all right, question number two. DC has a new title dropping in May called Blank. Is it A, Wilson World, B, Spirit World, or C, Luke Wilson? I'm going to say it's Spirit World, although I you would are like correct. to read a title yeah. called Luke Wilson. Yeah, uh, you can't see me up in the <laughs> spirit world. Uh, great, last one. Here we go. Question number three. Victor Timely first appeared in what Marvel annual in 1992? Is it A, Avengers, B, Almost Troy McClure, or C, Tane McClure? Uh, A? A is correct. Avengers, yeah. Wow, there we go. I've, uh, I've never gotten anything wrong on trivia. Uh, so, Brett, uh, since you won trivia, you can get a $25 gift card to the down. Oh, come on, our, come on, come on. Or if you'd like to donate it to charity, we'll accept We'll that. do the charity thing again. All right. Right. And this is, do you want to tell people about the charity, just in case they're listening? Sure. It's uh, Nola Fridge. Uh, they supply refrigerators out uh, on the streets at certain places. And they fill it with food, and uh, so people can just come. People in uh, neighborhoods that need that sort of thing, they can come, get food, get meals, and uh, it's great. Awesome for no cost. Brad, I love it, and I love this cocktail. I love it. it. So delicious. Happy Mardi Gras! Yeah. Happy, happy Mardi, Mardi, Mardi Gras, great bullies. Happy Mardi Gras! You say happy Mardi Gras. Happy Mardi Gras. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll let you get back to it. Thanks, Brett. All right, there we oh, go. Man. Brett Macris, Stray Bully, best guy. Awesome. Great to have him here. Uh, Pete, what are you drinking? I forgot to ask you before that. Oh, it's all right. Uh, a little Florida man uh, still polishing off that case. You know what I mean? A little bit at a time. All right, very nice. Uh, well, cool. Uh, we're getting a couple of questions in here from YouTube and Crowdcast. Uh, let me... Cool. 
let's pull in this one because I feel like this is probably the way I just want to finish before I forget in case anybody was wondering what movie I was referencing. Obviously it was the 2001 hit legally blonde. Ah, there we go. Excellent. Uh, Well, here, this is over from YouTube. All in the game says guessing Pete loved quantum mania unabashedly. And Alex was a lot more lukewarm. Whoa. Wow. Huh? It's almost like we're very predictable. I, yeah, (laughs) I will say, so I, I had hoped we were going to be able to tape with you, but Justin and I taped a Marvel Vision podcast episode about. Yeah, Ant-Man I was deep Wasp. in the creek. You were deep in the creek. You were out in the woods enjoying nature. We were not. We were enjoying I movies. Was at deep creek. So if you want to listen to me and Justin rail on the movie for about an hour, go check out the Marvel Vision feed. You fucking assholes, man. Dude, what the fuck? <laughs> you knew what was going to happen. Come on. I didn't. I saw it and I was like, is it a surprise every time to you now where you're like, my friends, uh, Justin and Alex surely will enjoy this thing the same way I do, despite that never happening before. (laughs) It happens every once in a while. It does happen every once in a while. It always makes me very happy when it does. But uh, since people potentially have listened to that podcast already and already know my feelings on it, which, yes, were a lot more lukewarm, I'd love to hear your opinion on the movie what did you think about it as a whole what did you like what criticisms do you have of any or no notes uh i mean M- michelle Pfeiffer's uh is just absolutely uh magical and of course you should start with her you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so uh i was super happy we got to because it was teased in the last movie you know that she lived for 30 years so it was interesting to see her life in this whole other world um and uh, yeah, I thought it was uh, just kind of a fun. I wish it was 3D because it felt like the way it was shot could have been fun and a little bit more mm-hmm. tripped out if they leaned into that a little bit more. But um, yeah, I mean, the only thing I didn't really like was Modoc, which apparently you love. So that was weird. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I had a blast. I was upset, though, that we didn't get my guy, uh, Pena, to do any recapping like, what the fuck? That was like the greatest thing of all Marvel movies. And now you just don't have that guy. Like so, did he gets so expensive. You couldn't even get him back in a Marvel yeah, movie. That's the thing. Or they like, spent all the money on Modoc's face. They spent all the money on Modoc's face and they couldn't afford Michael Pena. Anymore. Yeah. Well, maybe instead of showing his cute butt, you could have thrown Michael Pena a little. Oh, you thought he had a cute butt, huh? <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> it was adorable little i don't know what yeah, that was yeah, but it was, was kind of ridiculous tushy hanging out yeah <laughs> he did uh yeah modok is a is a weird 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 dude mm-hmm. i do think i mentioned this on the podcast a little bit but it was crazy to me in retrospect mind you i didn't mind the beginning of the movie when they were just hanging out on earth and like doing some goofy bits and stuff that was fun yeah. but when i thought about it later i was like they had paul rudd write a whole novel just so that they could recap what happened in the previous Ant-Man movies when there was literally a guy who was built into the trilogy that that is his job and everybody loves it. That's his job. Everybody loves it. My favorite part of the Ant-Man movies. Crazy. Craziness. Well, anyway, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm very happy to hear that. I disagree on Modoc. Wait, wait. First off, please tell me you liked uh, Canister Face, the guy who was just kind of like a glass cannon looking thing with like fire inside. I mean, that dude, ah, oh, just so great, man. Did it really get you when he died? Yeah, yeah it, it really did. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I was, oh, uh, 
That was definitely one of the points. Uh, obviously, we should have said spoilers at the beginning here, but that was definitely one of the points watching the movie when Catastrophe Face died, where I was like, I feel nothing. Oh, man. I was like, <laughs> I feel... And there goes my favorite character. I, we... Yeah, I don't know. I was. I kept doing this mental check of being like, do I feel anything watching this movie? And then in my brain, I'd be like, I do not. I do not feel a single thing. Happy, sad, whatever. I'm feeling nothing. Wow. Weird. Weird. But it seems like, to be fair, this divide that we're having, a lot of people are having that divide. Some people are like, this is great. I had such a blast at this movie. And some people are like, I hate it. Visually a lot of fun. I thought it looked like shit, but I guess we have that disagreement there too. Um, Yeah. I just thought the way that it was shot, it was clearly like, they shot people at separate points on this, uh, not green screen, because they're probably using the volume, uh, the new backdrop thing. But shots didn't connect properly. They were shot too closely. The action was a mess. Yeah, was, huh. Didn't like it. Didn't like looking at it. Was one of my Weird. Problems. I love looking at it. I wanted it to be 3D. Yeah. I wanted it to... Uh, yeah, I just felt like they... There was some really, like... There was just some, like, epic... Shots, you know. It's surprising to me that you didn't mention Kang. How'd you feel about Jonathan Majors as Kang? Uh, yeah. I mean, first off, Jonathan Majors is a fantastic actor. Uh, it was crazy to kind of watch his kind of arc, and then the after credits was very interesting. I was super excited about the Loki teaser kind of in there. That was great. And again, spoilers for spoiling the whole a lot of the stuff. But man. Uh, uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, also it was, I went from Wakanda forever where it was maybe one of the greatest flips ever to that flip where it went kind of back to the regulation flip with the new updated last part of the flip, which I know you know about, used to be Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman has now been updated. So that was kind of like. Was it? I thought it was still Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman. Was it that Shuri? Black Panther. Panther? I think it was Shuri because it changed from purple to like a reddish. No, no, no. It was Black Panther doing the ground pound from the first movie. So I it thought still... it was her on the island doing the ground pound. Maybe. When she was fighting Submariner. Oh, could be. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's Black Panther at the end. Wait, real quick. Can I do my Modoc bit uh, since we have this thing? Oh, my God. Do you like that? Look, I'm Modoc. If you're listening yeah, to the other podcast. On, just tell me you have pants on. That's all I care about. Nope, I got my cute little tushy hanging out. <laughs> I just picture you in a little chair with your legs dangling. You know, mm-hmm. that's pretty much exactly what I'm doing at this point. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple of questions here on Crowdcast. Um, why don't how, how do I hide that? Oh, there we go. Okay, I'm figuring everything out. This is from Kevin. Kevin says, uh, "What are some of your favorite elements from comic book movies that did not come from the comics?" Oof. Lots of stuff there. I'll throw out one that I think about all the time. Like, this is very low-hanging fruit. But the thing in the first Thor movie where he's explaining the nine realms, eight realms, I guess, at that point. Nine realms? I don't know. To Jane Foster. And he's giving the whole, like, what you think about as magic we call science speech that was such a defining thing that worked so well. It didn't feel like it was talking down to comic book fans. It didn't feel like it was doing the classic comic book movie. Like, Oh, this stuff is dumb. Isn't this dumb? Wink, wink sort of thing that always goes on. I was so impressed with that. And obviously at this point, they're like, 
nah, it's magic. It's fine. Don't worry about it. If there's gods and stuff. It's good. But I, I, I love that. I thought that was a great change, a great updating that didn't diminish anything that they were doing with Thor or Asgard or any of that stuff. Pete? Uh, yeah, I just want to say I hope uh, Puppet Kev is doing good and, uh, you know, he's uh, probably listening to this in his lovely apartment surrounded by all of his puppet friends. Oh, that sounds terrifying. Thank you for bringing it up. Yep. Uh, great. So no changes? No changes that work for you? I, I don't I don't know. Uh, nothing is uh, really that kind of uh, that question just kind of shattered my brain where I was like, I'm not sure nothing comes to mind. What about MODOK in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the way that they updated him from being his regular origin to being Darren Cross, former Yellow Jacket, and then they gave him that cool face. It didn't. It wasn't cool cool face. No, it wasn't wasn't cool face. And this is a fun bit. It's not freaking me out or scarring me for life. (laughs) I'm having a good time. All right. I've always considered you the MODOK of this show. (laughs) Thank you. Not a compliment. (laughs) <laughs> uh all right we got one here from youtube from garbage shoot droids aka adam marks hey adam uh, marks uh this is getting back to ant man of the wasp i guess they totally ignore the janet had no qualms sending scott to the quantum realm at the end of ant man of the wasp yeah all all apologies to you liking the movie pete none of the stuff with janet made any sense even though i loved michelle pfeiffer in the role and i loved watching her Plot-wise, it didn't connect to anything that happened previously in the movie. It didn't really make sense or track what she was doing. Michelle Pfeiffer did a phenomenal job with some very weird nonsense material. I think. I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, I remember in the second movie, the big reveal was that she was back, right? And then she was just happy to be. She was back, and then in the end credit scene, she and Hank were like, "Okay, we're going to explore the quantum realm now," and they send Scott down there, and that's how he ends up trapped there and comes out eventually during Endgame. Right. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even think about the fact that Mm -hmm. they just kind of all ignored that (laughs) to start the next movie. I completely forgot about that. Yep, there you go. That's wow. what the banking on. I guess it's good that you don't uh if you don't watch it in order for that, because otherwise you'd be like, Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing about Marvel movies. You go from Ant-Man one to Ant-Man two to Ant-Man three. Don't worry about it. They're not actually a trilogy. There's like 45 movies that come in between. It's all good. We got another one here over on Crowdcast. This is from Jay Citizen. Based on a conversation I had with two five-year-olds at a party this weekend, which <laughs> Avengers are least likely and most likely to kick a bad guy in the penis? Wow. That's a very interesting conversation to have with two five-year-olds. Mm. I wonder how that <laughs> Oh, is that started. the problem there? That it's multiple five-year-olds? Well, I'm just very interested to be like, how do you even... So, we, all right, let's just hope that it's a scenario where you're at a party, one kid mm-hmm. kicks another kid in the dick, and then you go, you know, you don't see Avengers doing that. And then someone might be like, oh, I bet you one of them would. And then it's like, well, mm-hmm. which one? You know, so right, you right. kind of, um, you know, so maybe it was something like that. So, yeah, which Avenger? And I guess when we're saying Avengers, are we talking like in the movies, the core Avengers? Or are we talking, or are you talking about Modoc? Right. Are you talking about Modok would try to kick him in the dick, but he has those tiny little baby legs. <laughs> oh he wouldn't reach. He can kick Deadpool in his uh, baby dick. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Wait, baby dick? Did he have baby hands? Is that what you're thinking of? 
Well, he had baby hands. I mean, all of them was a baby for a little bit. He was like growing his legs back. And oh, right. Part, okay. But, I vaguely yeah, remember yeah. that. I've only seen that movie once, so I don't remember all the parts as well as you do. Hmm. Like by parts, I mean baby dicks. Um, the <laughs> but wait, which, we which should answer, answer the question. Yeah, we should answer the question. Clearly, we're yeah. avoiding this. So let, let's just keep it to like from the first Avengers movie. Hawk, you got Hawkeye. Hawkeye would kick kids in the dick? No, as uh, what you call it, he would. When he as went. Ronan? Ronan, yeah. he oh, was. Yeah. Ronan's a big dick kicker. Right, but he's a father otherwise, so I feel like he would not. Wait, I'm sorry. Was the question would, oh, kick a bad guy in the past, not who would kick a kid in the dick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like you're like, oh, he's a dad. He wouldn't kick kids in the dick. It's like, no, no, no. He was at a party talking to kids about it. It wasn't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like, didn't Black Widow do it to Iron Man and Iron Man 2 at some point? Or somebody? I feel like Iron Man should get kicked in the dick. Absolutely. Uh, a, a bunch. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but he has the iron suit, so it makes it hard. But um, no pun intended. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Come on. Done that. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, I don't think Hawkeye would do it. I feel like Black Widow, but it would be an annoying scene. Be, everybody would be like, okay, I get it. Not Captain what? America. What was that weird tangent you just went on? No, I just mean like it's a very classic 80s, 90s thing of having the female superhero kick somebody in the dick and they'd be like, yo, 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 yo. So I'd rather not see. Oh, I didn't think about the 80s sound effects that you have going in your head at all times. <laughs> what the fuck? All times, man. All times. Uh, yeah, I, you know, when in doubt, uh, you know, if you're running out of things to do, I guess kick it back in the dick is uh, it's a good out to try. Yeah, there you go. Wait, so which one? You said Tony Stark would do it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, Thor will give him a little spinning hammer to the nuts, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I don't think many Avengers are above it, you know, it's, uh... yeah, there you go. Um, all right, we got a perennial one Maybe here. Captain America wouldn't, I don't know. Yeah, uh, Captain America would not. But we got a perennial one here from Stanley. Any plans for a live show or a con show? Stanley, I swear we keep talking about this. We, we do. We do. The problem is Hollywood Justin, mm -hmm. we can barely get him to show for video, let alone right. uh, track him down in real life. I mean, the guy, you know, he's in California. Then he's, you he's, know, he's a all lodge over. without Wi-Fi this week. Yeah, yeah. Big he's, Hollywood stuff. You know, he's traveling all over the country trying to drink before he dies or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot going on with that guy. So... We would love to because we haven't seen each other in years at this point in real life. Um, yeah, we're trying to make it happen. Uh, we're not trying hard, obviously, but we do have discussions about it. So, uh, yeah, we would love to uh, try to figure out a venue uh, uh, and a space for us to kind of uh, be where there is some fans. Uh, so it would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. But and, Stanley, we'll keep we'll keep on it. All right, and appreciate your question. Yeah, here this is a question from Stray Bullet. How come you guys have never come down for Mardi Gras? And when will you plan on coming down? Also, I've had a lot of Stray Bullets Mardi Gras daiquiris. You guys rock! Happy Mardi Gras! Thank uh, you, Stray Bullet. Uh, Pete, you're gonna try to go down soon, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm going down in a couple of weeks, uh, just because I've never been to New Orleans and uh, heard amazing things. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to hang out with Stray Bullies, check out his restaurant, um, you know, uh, see the sights and, uh, you know, 
see all the homes that Brad Pitt built. I don't know what else there is to do in New Orleans. I've never been. So, uh, yeah, it should be fun. Cool. Uh, yeah. We got one last one here. This is from Ben, the Border Collie, over on Crowdcast. Which CBC host would kick a kid in the dick? Uh, I'm not above it. I'll tell you that right now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I feel like you'd be most likely. You get, yeah, you get most annoyed at a kid. Yeah. Well, I love kids, but <laughs> I also, uh, I don't care who you are. You make me mad. Uh, yeah. I could see yeah. you go like Adam Sandler and Billy Madison on somebody or something. Sure. Like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, half inflated ball. So it doesn't hurt as bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where um, you know, you know, you disrespect somebody, you deserve a little a little uh, justice. You know what I mean? Yeah, there you go. All right, and that is it for your audience questions. Uh, and now, normally, we would go to trivia, but we already did that. Already, it's already happened. It already been brought in. So we <laughs> are. <laughs> instead going to talk about what new comic books are coming out this week pete what are you looking forward to that is coming out this week i'll tell you what man uh the one that really i mean there's a lot of great stuff mm -hmm. and you overstack the stack which yeah, you know go fuck yourself sorry. uh but uh ice cream man number 34 Ooh. uh just an absolute banger and what's impressive is I'm at issue number 34 and I'm still being surprised and blown away by this comic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not like, okay, I know what I'm going to get each time. I'm like, what's this going to be? You know? <laughs> uh, so uh, it's uh, continues to just be such a, an impressive uh, creative, just unbelievable uh, uh, a source of, 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 top tier pull list must have uh scenario i it's just so cool and, and so well done totally agree with that one so many things coming out tomorrow that i want to call out but the big one that i was super impressed with it's already out so i feel fair talking about it but batman one bad day clayface number one. Oh my god dude uh, colin kelly and jackson lansing zermonico on art i what was... is it about clayface that just it's such a like an emotional like yeah. thing that you root for him, but then it goes all bad, and you know it's going to go bad because it's Clayface. And, mm -hmm. uh, Phenomenal! This whole series of one shots they've been doing has been great, but I was floored by this issue. Definitely check it out. Both of those books and many, many more books, as Pete mentioned, are going to be on the Stack Podcast this week that rolls out Wednesday, 9 a.m. in the Comic Book Club feed and its own dedicated Stack feed. And folks, that is it for this week's show. A couple of people want to thank. We want to thank Justin Ciardulo for coming on. I definitely just mispronounced his name again. But check out The Palette of G and Frankie on Vimeo as well as the comic Digital out now from Legacy Comics. Also, Eric Radvon, check out Lady Dark in Shops yeah. March 1st from Blood Moon Comics. Very fun. Um, also, I want to give a shout out to Brett Macris. Thank you, Brett, for coming Straight on. Bullies. And next week, we're going to have a packed show with Nicole Osto is going to be here and Jamie Rotante. Talk about mm -hmm. Archie Comics' Betty the Final Girl, one of Archie Comics' Horrorline, as well as Claire Napier is going to be here to talk about Zoop's The Magic Necklace. 
If you want to support the show and all the shows we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, you can subscribe on Apple, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and TikTok, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, good night. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourself. Grab your green word. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for bearing with us on the StreamYard stuff. Good night. Deuces.